this morning is from Ephesians 4, 3 through 6. Make every effort to keep unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we just ask that you would come, that you would just be here and very present. Like that we just put off all the worries and the agendas and we would just sit and like the main priority is just to know your heart. Father, we pray for conviction and change this morning. Bless the teaching and the word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jake and Brooke. You all may be seated. And yes, just as we move into this time, I want to echo Jake's prayer that we should encounter God this morning, encounter his goodness this morning again. Uh, For many of you, it's been, you encountered God already this morning. For some of you, it's been some time. But I think just this thing that the Spirit has been stirring, that this place this morning will be a place of encounter for us as we come to meet together and to celebrate Jesus. Um, So we've been in a practice of community series, and that continues today and next week, and then really continues as we launch into Advent in homes across the cities. But this morning, I want you to begin to think about this question, what is the church? What is the church? Or, Or maybe better said, what makes the church the church? Because the church is, is many things. The church is a family. It's the family of God that comes together to celebrate the kingship of Jesus. The church is also a mechanism for God's mission in the world. The church is God's people who gather together to experience God and grow in discipleship to Jesus. The church is here like at 1200 Trexton Avenue, and so many other places in Bakersfield, right around the corner at our friends who lead the, with our friends who lead the collective or First Press or the Garden, and that's just downtown, not to name the other churches across the city. But it's not just here, it's also in New Mexico, in New York, in South Africa, New Guinea, in Australia. And the list goes on and on and on because the church is local and the church is global. But our question for today is what makes the church the church? Is it meeting on a Sunday morning? Is it a corporate gathering with three songs on the front end, a 40-minute sermon, and three songs on the back end? Is it a beautiful building with stained glass windows? And I want to, I want to like, introduce the idea or have a bit of a dialogue about the concept of what makes the church the church through church history. You see, through church history, the consensus has been that there is one thing that makes the church the church. When we look back at the story of the church over history, 
What we see is a group of people who emerge from following a rabbi, King Jesus, what we would now call him. So there's, there's Jesus, but there's a group of people that are following him, and we see them, and then there's a pivotal moment when this group of people move from following a rabbi, from following Christ, from following the Messiah, to establishing what you and I today call the church. And that singular moment most scholars would describe as the moment of Pentecost. The moment of Pentecost. What makes the church the church is that the church is an empowered people, empowered by the Spirit of God inside His community of people. The church is empowered by the Spirit of God. In the Old Testament, if you're well acquainted at all, the Holy Spirit worked in certain times, at certain ways, in certain moments for certain reasons. But post-Pentecost, the Holy Spirit indwells, like takes up residence in, and animates the life of all who follow Jesus, all who are saved, or as the scriptures say, all who call on the name of Jesus. The church's story, think church history, the church's story is about God's presence with his people to live empowered lives as they press into the kingdom of God on the earth. I'm going to say that again. The church's story is about God's presence with his people to live empowered lives as they press into the kingdom of God on the earth. If you have a Bible, turn in it to Acts 1. Verses 4 through 8. We'll read these real quickly. Acts 1, verse 4. Oh, it's on the screen. That's amazing. Technology. Acts 1, verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he, Jesus, gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him, the disciples, and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? In verse 7, Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, this is why Pentecost and uh, the church calendar are so important. We remember where, like, where these things, where these practices, where these, these life-giving, forming habits, where they come from, where they began. Where, like, if we look back at church history, like kingdom of God advancement begins from Pentecost. Jesus, yes, but once that power is distributed to all people who call on the name of Jesus, like we see it in a different sort of way. And I want us to see, it's important, I think, for us to see, like, the birth of the church. And therefore, like, the life of the church, of Christ's church, formed and sustained by the Holy Spirit. That Christ's church is both born and sustained by the Holy Spirit. You see, we have the Father 
the ask, like the person of God. We have the Father who we live in a family relationship with. We are adopted into God's family. And we have Jesus who is sent on a mission to bridge the gap between God and all of humanity. And we have the Holy Spirit that indwells, that takes up space inside of us. And this is like the Spirit dwelling in God's people to empower us to live according to God and His ways. I was tempted because I'm a bit fascinated by, but I was gonna like I was gonna read this super long list of names through church history of all the people whose stories we both know and don't know. But I think because I think part of it in the West is like in particular, I'm gonna take a job at America real quick. We're about as good at American history as we are at church history. Okay, like we don't know the stories as we ought. Is that fair to say? Does anyone disagree? We can talk afterwards. But I think it's important for us to understand the context of the church history story. I think it's important to understand that like God has been at work for generations. For 2,000 years before you and me in this moment. And we don't have time. Like guys, it was pages long. My list was pages long, but just for a second. I want to name just a few of some of the better-known ones. We have Clement of Rome, who led the church after Peter and Paul died. We have Augustine of Hippo in the 4th century, whose writings are used to develop Western Christianity and pretty much Western civilization. We have St. Patrick. Most of we we know St. Patrick. Patrick's St. Patrick's Day. By the way, he's not Irish and he didn't wear green, but that's for another conversation. But St. Patrick is born in Britain, kidnapped at 16, escapes seven years later, and then goes back to Ireland as a missionary to share the good news of Jesus. We have Joan of Arc, put to death for disobeying the church. We have Tertullian, who gave us developing ideas for the Trinity as early as the third century. We have Count Zinzendorf and Diedrich Bonhoeffer and Elizabeth Elliot and Mother Teresa and Charles Finney, and the list goes on and on and on and on and on. And you can name any person you want from church history. And and the beauty of God's family, the beauty of Christ's body is this, that undergirding their lives, undergirding their mission, undergirding their accomplishments, what do they have? They have the same thing that you and I have. They have the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. All of those people I named and all of the people that remain unnamed have the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, just like at Pentecost, just like when you began to follow the way of Jesus and the Spirit of God took up residency in you. And sometimes when we think about the Holy Spirit, things get a bit murky. Anyone in the room like, eh, I'm okay, eh. I just want to make a few things clear before we jump in a bit more. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit indwells all who believe, all who have faith in Jesus. The Holy Spirit intends to animate your life. The Holy Spirit invites you into life with him. The Holy Spirit empowers the community of God to accomplish the mission of God. 
Just like all of those people in church history, the Holy Spirit has been sent into you to fulfill God's purposes in your life. The Holy Spirit has been sent into you to fulfill God's purposes in your life. Sometimes when we think about the Holy Spirit, we begin to get caught up in gifts of the Holy Spirit, and that is not completely wrong. There are plenty of writings in the New Testament about the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but first, before we can ever get into gifts, what we have to remember is what we learn from Jesus specifically in this text. The Holy Spirit is the gift. The Holy Spirit is the gift. God's indwelling presence is a greater gift than any manifestation of any natural or supernatural thing on earth. God takes up residency inside you. Let your mind be blown by that reality. The primary gift of the Spirit is His presence in you. And as we continue to, to mature as a body of Christ, and as we continue to, to change and shift and become more like Jesus, all of those things are true, but we must not forget that like the Holy Spirit dwells in you, and that is a great gift. We see Jesus talk about it in Acts 1. We see it again in John 14, verses 15 through 17. Jesus says this, "'If you love me, keep my commands.'" And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Or John 16, verse 7. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Just think about that reality for a second. You're a part of Jesus' inner core. Your life has been like turned upside down by this guy, by following this rabbi. And you are with him night and day, day and night. And you're traveling and you're doing all the things. And then one day, Jesus is like, hey, it's better for you that I leave. It's better for you that I go away. That way, like the advocate, the helper, the one who's going to come from God, he, like he is going to come be with you, and that is better than Jesus in the flesh being with you. And I think we, like Jesus, must keep the primary thing, like the Holy Spirit being a gift to the world as a like priority in our life with God. You see, anything that comes after the Spirit is secondary. It's additional. It's, it's extra. It's icing on the cake. The first reality, the first reality is that you live in relationship with the Holy Spirit. Did you know that you could live in relationship with the Holy Spirit? Did you know that as you live in relationship with God, you have already been interacting with the Holy Spirit? Did you know that before you entered into a relationship with God, the Holy Spirit was interacting with you? Often when we think about interacting with God, we think about it like this big macro 10-year plan. 
We pray things like, God, show me, show me what you want me to do. Show me my 10-year plan. And then we hope like a scroll falls from the rafters. And I pick it up and it says Ryan Abbott. And I'm like, oh, this must be Ryan's 10-year plan. This isn't mine. This is like, that's, that's how we hope things go. But I think often we do that. We engage with God. We engage with the Spirit in that way because the idea of life 10 years from now, that's easy to live into because it's not right in front of you. The vision is often easier than reality because it's not real. And I think one of the things, one of the gifts that the Holy Spirit does is it constantly, he constantly beckons us back to the present, to the thing right in front of us. I think a better question than, what, God, what do you want from me 10 years from now? is like, Holy Spirit, what do you intend for me for the next few hours? What are you going to put in front of me that I'm supposed to be faithful with as I listen to your voice? Ask God what's like directly in front of you that he's inviting you into. And as we, as we look at this, as we begin to understand like the role and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our community, um, that question, the like what is the Spirit doing now? is the question that we want to begin to be comfortable with asking. What is the Spirit of God doing now? Holy Spirit, what is right in front of me for do, to do today? Holy Spirit, is there a specific person you want me to talk to as I move throughout my day? Holy Spirit, is there a person who needs a word of encouragement or just a smile this morning? Because the reality is that the Holy Spirit is close to you. He is in you now. He is close to our community. He gathers with us uniquely. As we often pray, and we do pray this often, like, come Holy Spirit. Lord, come. Or to steal a line from Jake Coates, more Lord. More. Like, give us more. of. Would you give us more of yourself? I know you're here. I believe your word is true, but would you, like, give us more? And I think one of the realities is that as we grow in like community life together, it's important that we understand like what the Spirit of God is doing in our community. Because the reality is that while like Christian faith has been a bit hijacked, in my opinion, and become hyper-individualized, the, the goal, the, the, the picture that the scriptures give us is that like life with the Holy Spirit takes place in community. Yes, alone in your quiet time, 100%, but also like how do I test the things that get stirred up in my own heart? I test them with the scriptures and with community. I test them, I test what God is doing in my heart with the people around me. I remember a time when I was younger, I was away at camp. I was in high school, I think. I remember writing and reading and praying, which is the, like the devotional trifecta. Um, and I remember sensing something from God, that God was stirring something inside of me. And, and if you've ever, if you, in particular, if you're from a charismatic tradition, uh, you've probably felt this tension like God is stirring something in me or 
lunch is not sitting as well <laughs> as I wished it. Like, is that the Holy Spirit or is that heartburn? Does that make sense? Like, do I need an affirmation from the outside or do I need a Pepto-Bismol? Like, what, what do I need? And the reality is, like, this is where community life comes into play. Because if you're sensing something from the Spirit, we don't just do that in isolation by ourselves. That is lived out within communal context. That is lived out with people. One of the most interesting things when Paul launches into the spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 is, is the, the emphasis is placed on not like, hey, if you receive a word that you have to word that in a really specific way. The emphasis is placed on like when that word is shared, let the community discern together. Does that make sense? Like the, the picture of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, just like we have like been beating this drum for this entire practice, is that the Holy Spirit does this in community that he might build up his church, that it might be a witness to the world. You see, it isn't a singular person who has all the right answers or who knows exactly what the Spirit is doing and saying. It is a picture of a community of people who listen to the Holy Spirit together and seek to be faithful together. That means accountable together and honest together. That weigh what the Spirit of God is doing together. And this is what Paul launches into when he's talking in Ephesians 4. In Ephesians 4, verse 3, it says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. First, I think it's really important that we notice that the unity of the Spirit takes work. Make every effort. If you are in relational capacity anywhere, you know this to be true. Like, relationships do not just have peace all the time. Relationships take work. And as we, like, discern the Spirit of God together, as we listen to what the Holy Spirit is doing and instructing and giving us, it's important that we do this in the context of community. Having unity of what the Spirit is doing requires effort and attention. And some of you know this about our church, about River and Way. We believe in a team-based leadership model. And this verse is a verse that we look to to implement the way that we often do things. Our desire is uh, that River and Way over the course of the next year or two would move into having an elder team that serves as the leadership of our church. But until then, myself, my wife Jackie, Brandon, and Liz, we work as a team of people who lead and shepherd River and Way. And the reality is that we believe what Paul says here is true, that, that if we are willing to put forth the hard work, that the Spirit will bring unity. And so as a team, since the beginning of this church, since the beginning of this launch, we have committed to not move forward into any decision as a church until the four of us are in unity together. And if you've ever been involved in leading anything, you know that this is slower and more inefficient than you would like it to be. And we feel all of those tensions too. But we do believe that if we're willing to put forth the effort that what comes out is health and honesty and confession and vulnerability and searching our own hearts and most importantly, like gathering with unity to what the Spirit of God 
is doing. But Paul makes this clear. He makes it clear that unity in relationship, unity in the church, unity within the church requires work. That preserving the bond of peace takes work. That peace is something that ought to be fought for. That peace is something that ought to be fought for. You see, there is a difference between what Jesus calls in the Sermon on the Mount a peacemaker and someone who just keeps peace because they do not want to enter conflict. Those are two different things. One is avoiding the hard work to make peace, and the other is making peace, which may actually involve conflict. But that's another sermon. Maybe Brandon will teach on that next week. And then Paul continues, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. Paul here says something amazing, hard for us to even understand. There is one body of Christ. There is one. And I want you to think about that just for a second. And the reason this is true is because in the, the mind of God, there is one church. In the mind of God, when God thinks about the church, when he thinks about his people, there is one body. While we in Bakersfield have a church on every eight blocks, God's perception is that there is just those who are filled with the Holy Spirit. There are just those who are filled with the Holy Spirit and that that group of people is the body of Christ. That there is only one Holy Spirit that brings to life the one body of Christ. We talked a bit about this concept when we looked at the church as a family and the reality that when you were adopted into God's family, you absolutely become a son or a daughter of the Father, but you also become a brother or a sister in the family. And those two realities cannot be separated as often as we would like them to be. They are bound together in truth and in love. When you are filled with the Spirit, it is because you are a part of the body of Christ. When you are filled with the Spirit, it is because you are a part of the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 through 14 says this, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink, to consume, to like work into our lives. Verse 14, even so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. What Paul is getting after here is the spirit-filled people make up the beautiful body of Christ. That your unique gifts, how God has made you, wired you, designed you, is meant to be a part of the church's demonstration of love to the world. And when I say church, I don't mean institutionalized church. What I mean is the group of God's people that exist. And that all parts of the body are needed and necessary. 
This is one of the realities that gets me so excited about the idea of living into house churches together, into small communities, because this is a place, house church is a place, when we sit around the table and share life together, like whose gifts are required? Everyone's gifts are required. And if you're not there, it's noticed and it's known in a beautiful, belonging, intimate, sharing life together sort of way. But when I... When I speak about gifts, when I say gift, when Paul talks about gifts, I want to clarify just real quickly, a brief theological detour, what I mean when I say that. You see, up at the top of uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1, it says this, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. And this is important for us just at this moment, at this time, that you understand that like River and Way is a church that believes in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We believe they're still alive and active today. We are believe that they are like vital to the life of the church. And we believe that the gifts of the Spirit are things that are meant to bring life to the body of Christ. Um, as, you, as you research or as you look, there's no like definitive list of gifts of the Spirit. I personally don't think like gifts tests are all that helpful, um, but that's my conviction. You don't have to share that conviction. There are some lists of gifts in the scriptures, but none are definitive. But the reality is this is an area as we as a community become well acquainted with life with the Holy Spirit. This is an area we want, we ask that God would awaken within our community. That the animation of the unique gifts of people in this room, like the Spirit of God would bring those things to life, would bring life, breathe life on them anew. But it's important, that, and, and that's why earlier I said, like, the, the primary gift, the first gift is the Holy Spirit himself. We must never lose sight of that reality. While at the same time, we hold the tension where we desire to grow in what the Spirit is doing. And if you carry a desire or any semblance of, like, growing into the gifts of the Spirit, the real question in my opinion, the question behind the question is, do you want to, are you willing to grow in relationship with the Holy Spirit? Often there are like pieces or mechanisms or like giftings that we want to grow in, but we have to, like we have to keep the first things first. And the first thing, the invitation is to grow in relationship with the Holy Spirit. Grow in relationship with what God is already doing. I have a great desire to see the Holy Spirit move in power. I would love to see him heal more and restore more and redeem more and like unleash and pour himself out in my life and in the life of others. But the question behind that is like, how well do you really know his voice? How well do I listen when he speaks? Or said most simply, God, the Holy Spirit, has a tendency. Hear this real quick. God, the Holy Spirit, has a tendency to come where he is wanted. So do you want him? Do you want God? Do you want the Holy Spirit? And not for the things that he gives you, but because of who he is. 
So often we get caught up in wanting the Holy Spirit for the gifts that he brings or wanting God for the gifts that God brings. God, the Holy Spirit, like they are the gift. Imagine life without them. They are the gift. And we must never leave that place, never leave that reality. Just as we continue to like understand a bit more of what the Holy Spirit, like who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit's doing. I have a like condensed list for you. It'll be on the screen. These are just a few, 15 things is what I have. But this is just a small section of what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. The Holy Spirit regenerates us. The Holy Spirit glorifies and testifies of Christ. The Holy Spirit reveals Christ to us and in us. The Holy Spirit leads us. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us. The Holy Spirit empowers us. The Holy Spirit fills us. The Holy Spirit teaches us to pray. The Holy Spirit bears witness in us that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit produces in us the fruit or evidence of his work and presence. The Holy Spirit distributes spiritual gifts and manifestations of his presence to and through the body. The Holy Spirit anoints us for ministry. The Holy Spirit washes us and renews us. And the list goes on and on and on. Like, and if you want that, don't chase the thing. God is present to you. The Holy Spirit's desire is to be present to you. Would you listen to his voice? Would you receive his call? And even as the Holy Spirit does these things in the body of Christ, he has purpose and meaning to doing these things. You see, as is consistent throughout all the scriptures, starting clearly in Genesis 12, the end goal is not just ourselves, but others. In Genesis 12, Abraham is blessed to be a blessing to all the nations on the earth. Quite often, the Holy Spirit comes and manifests things not just for you, but for others around you. You see, whatever the Spirit is doing in our lives, whatever God is animating and bringing to life is meant to serve the good of the King and His kingdom. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says it this way, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. God's goal is to build up the common good. Well, the common good of what? The common good of his body. The common good of his church. The common good of his bride whose responsibility it is to carry the kingdom of God into the world. The Spirit of God indwells you and it is not for no purpose. The Spirit of God indwells you and it is not only for you to have a private life with God. The Holy Spirit indwells you to be a part of something much bigger than just yourself. The gifts of the Spirit, the indwelling of the Spirit have been given to us with intention to build up the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit's desire to live in relationship with you, in active relationship with you, that you might be empowered to live into God's purposes for your life. Just like the saints of old. 
just like Mother Teresa, whose gift of compassion was empowered by the Spirit. Or St. Augustine of Hippo and his gift of thinking and writing was empowered of the Spirit. Or like St. Patrick, whose gift of forgiveness was empowered by the Spirit. God's desire for you and me to lead an empowered life together is intended to be empowered by the presence of God indwelling you and I for the purposes he has for us. And what is amazing about the kingdom of God is that we do not get like this power that I'm speaking of, this dynamite type power. We do not get it by just like claiming it for ourselves. In the kingdom of God, you get power as you regularly yield your life to God. As you regularly yield your way to the king. In Jesus' words, like as you take up your cross and follow him. The great purpose of the church is to take up God's mission to redeem the world. And that is not on our own, like, fleshly willpower. That is on God's power in the same way that he has empowered the church for generations and will continue to empower the church for generations to come. But at this moment, the invitation for our community today is that we, like, Habit, we habit, habituate ourselves to becoming keenly aware of like relationship with the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit's presence in you and the desire of the Holy Spirit to like empower you into living well right where you are. The invitation is for us to live into the Spirit's animating power of our lives toward one another, with one another, that the bride of Christ may be exalted in the world, that the love of God may be exalted and displayed to the world, that Christian community may be like a city on a hill, may be like a lamp on a nightstand, that we would be unified by the one Spirit of God as one body of Christ for the one hope of the world. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your invitation that does not cease to give us yourself. And, and Jesus, I just cry out, like, would you come even more? Would you pour your sport, spirit out even more? Like, Holy Spirit, would you come? Um, for people who are even just like far from you this morning, maybe they haven't begun to follow you. Would you pour your spirit out and then would you indwell them? Would you call them to repentance and obedience and faith in King Jesus? And for those of us that have, like we have followed you, would you like breathe on an old flame again? Just get this picture of like a dying fire and Holy Spirit, would you just like bro, blow your breath on it? Would you animate it? Would you bring it back to life? God, would you bring us back to life? Would you awaken the dead things or the desolate things in our heart? Maybe the dreams we once carried, but we have let them die. So Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would come 
you would awaken our hearts to your goodness. You would awaken us to the reality of your presence, to the reality of your power. And that we would have the courage, the faith even, just to like yield ourselves to you. To trust you. You've never disappointed us. You've never let us down. You've never failed us. And so would we, would we yield our uh, heavy hearts even to you again? We love you. Praise sings in your name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we worship King Jesus?